what is your plan for making disciples in your church? That's a question that I've asked all over the state of New Mexico. And can you guess what the response might have been in a lot of places? Are you ready? Here it is. That's been my experience. In fact, research shows that most pastors, most churches have no answer to this question, what is your plan for making disciples in your church? I think it's a very simple question, and yet it's a very challenging question, and we want to think about that today. Author Dallas Willard wrote it this way, and I think it's great how he put it as we think about this challenge. Let me read it for you. Since making disciples is the main task of the church, every church ought to be able to answer these questions. What is our plan for making disciples of Jesus? And is our plan working? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for powerful worship through music and prayer. I think I lost my voice, Lord, singing so loud, singing about the fact that you loved the world so much that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, that we might be saved and not perish. And we are thankful for that today, God. And as we think about proclaiming, as we think about disciple-making this morning, remind us that it's all about you, Jesus, and we're grateful. God, speak through me today. Speak your word into our hearts. May we be receptive and open to what you have to say to us. Thank you, God, how you customize your message for each one of us in our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me give you the bottom line this morning, something for you to think about as we're talking today, and it's this. Disciple makers make disciples who make disciples. Let me say that one more time. Disciple makers make disciples who make disciples. We're going to be in Matthew 28 today. We want you to turn there in your copy of Scripture. And Matthew's interesting. Matthew is the gospel to the, the, the Jewish audience, if you will. And he begins his gospel by proclaiming something, by proclaiming that this baby Jesus was the son of David. How's that for a Jewish term? He's the son of David. You'll remember the genealogy there at the beginning of Matthew as he works through that. Jesus is the son of David, the promised king of Israel. And then Matthew closes his gospel by proclaiming that the Lord Jesus possesses all authority, all power in heaven and on earth. Let's take a look at Matthew 28. We're going to look at verses 16 through 20. Some of you know these verses well. You might have memorized some of them. In my copy of Scripture, the, the subtitle is The Great Commission. Verse 16. The disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, if you haven't underlined that yet in your Bible, you might want to underline make disciples. 
If you're using your phone, don't write on your phone. That would not be good, okay? Look at that. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here we have what is called our Great Commission. And let me remind you of something, the imperative that it is in the biblical language. It's not a great suggestion, as others have said over the years. It's a great commission. And here's something we forget sometimes. It's not just a great commission to us, but it's from our resurrected Lord. This is post-crucifixion. This is post-burial. This is post resurrection, our resurrected Lord. I think that is powerful. And today, I want us to think about this as we jump into Scripture. This is what I've been praying about. This is a familiar passage, and and we can have analysis or we can have awakening of heart. And I've been praying that we won't just have more analysis because we have analyzed the Great Commission over and over and over, but today there would be awakening of heart in us as we think about disciple-making and disciple-makers who make disciples who make disciples. That's my prayer today. So let's look at verses 16 and 17. And think about disciple-making background principle number one. That's a mouthful. But here it is. Disciple-making background principle number one is simply this. Disciples meet the Lord in appointed places, and they worship him. And they worship him. Let me read 16 and 17 again. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. You see, they met in what I would call no man's land. It's the land of Galilee. It's situated between the thriving Gentile world and the dying Jewish world. And these surroundings are filled with memories. These disciples have memories of Jesus' ministry and in the very recent past, what had happened there. And it's here that our resurrected Lord sought to remove any lingering doubts of his followers. Now, it's interesting how they came together, but if we examine even just the Gospel of Matthew, we understand that Jesus had just told them in chapter 26 Go ahead, that, that uh, he would go ahead of them to Galilee. And in verse 28 earlier, he said he, he would see them there. In fact, an interesting note of this passage, of this meeting, it's the only for, formal uh, meeting, formally appointed meeting we know of. The other meetings that, that happened with our resurrected Lord, he comes in unannounced. He comes in unexpected. Poof, there he is, Right? But here, it's scheduled, if you will. He had told them, and they traveled to do that. Now, Matthew says in verse 16 that the 11 disciples met Christ. And, of course, we know we would not include Judas Iscariot at this point. I think the 11 disciples here are the prominent focal ones, okay? I'm, I'm visual. Anybody in here visual? You'd like to get a picture? as you're, Not very many of us. Okay, well... Yeah, we like to get a picture, and I'm, I'm picturing Jesus here, and they're gathering together, and there are those guys. I want to also let you know that there's a number of scholars, though, that believe that this could be the appearance of Jesus 
to what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, that large group of 500 followers. So you figure that out for yourself. But I'm picturing Jesus, and there's the 11, and I'm even picturing maybe out in the background are other followers of Jesus. And they meet at a mountain. The mountain's not known, but wouldn't it be awesome if it was the mountain where the Sermon on the Mount had been preached? It's to be noted that this is some distance from Jerusalem. So that's kind of the setting. They get together and they meet. And that's important for us to realize you can't be a disciple if you don't meet with Jesus. And then I want you to think about three words today that will be in your sermon notes. Three words I want us to think about. The first one I want you to see and note is that they saw Jesus. Wow. Verse 17. When they saw him. Wouldn't it be amazing to see our resurrected Lord face to face? In fact, isn't that a promise that we have as believers? That someday in eternity we will see Jesus face to face. I long for heaven. Don't you? You know, sometimes we get busy or we want to see the grandkids and we get doing things. But ultimately, I pray that our, our heart is looking towards the day when we get to see Jesus face to face. So they saw Jesus and notice there was, their response was twofold. Here's the second word. They worshiped. Now, that's a natural thing to do. I don't know about you, but if I saw Je- Jesus came in this morning, I would be worshiping him, right? I would probably fall on my knees and worship him. And this is a natural thing that they did, and they worshiped him. You see, remember, these disciples didn't quite get everything that Jesus was about. Isn't that true? They're a little bit like me. They couldn't quite get it. And they went through those three years of his ministry, even as Jesus went to the cross, and they still weren't quite getting it. You remember Peter, of all people, Simon Peter, and he's denying Christ three times during those days. Wow. Think about that for a minute. But here they understand. It's the resurrected Lord, and they worship. And then the third word I want you to think about today is this, some doubted. Now, that's my translation, maybe your translation, but let's think about the biblical word for a minute. It it may not be doubt like I would think. I would think, come on, guys, you're not getting it yet. Why are you doubting? You should know by now. But this word really gives us a picture of the idea of hesitation, perhaps confusion. And I can sure see that. Is that that really him? Is that really him? What, What? Okay, some are all in and some are trying to think about this. And so these are the things that we see that happens here. Of course, when we get to verse 18 in just a moment, we see that Jesus comes and he speaks and takes care of any confusion, any doubt, any hesitation. That's my prayer as well this morning, that Jesus would do that in our lives today, would remove doubt, hesitation, confusion. Let me ask you this this morning. Where do you meet the Lord? If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, where do you meet the Lord? Where do you see Him? How often do you see Him? How often do you meet with Him? Let me tell you this. When we meet with the Lord, as He says, He meets us. Amen? Isn't that awesome to think about? And I believe disciple-makers practice 
this very thing. When Jesus meets with us, fear and doubt vanish. They fade away. Disciple makers know that it is Jesus who gives us the courage to share the gospel and to share life with others. Disciple makers make disciples who make disciples. So that's disciple making background principle number two. When we move to verse 18, we see disciple making background number two. And it's a very simple statement, and it's this All power and all authority is Christ Jesus. Look at verse 18. All authority, this is red letter in my Bible, by the way, actual words of Jesus speaking. All authority has been given to me in heaven. And on earth. You see, as Jesus gathers his disciples on this mountain, they've joined him, he does not start with a command. And I think that's very instructive. He starts with a claim. And the claim is that he has all authority and power. That's got to be reassuring for them. I know today it's reassuring for me. And Jesus gives them assurance of his power and authority. Now, I got to thinking about Jesus' power and authority, and immediately I began to think about the great mind of Christ passage in Philippians 2, where we see that Jesus' power and authority, it's a given power. It's from God who exalts Jesus. And in 8 and 9, if I may paraphrase, it's this. Jesus humbles himself, and God exalts him, in fact, to the point, you know the phrase, that his name is above every other name. Power and authority. God exalts Jesus. It is also the authority uh, above all and over all that is in the universe. As you think about creation and you think about Christ Jesus sustaining and holding together all of creation. And this power includes the power to forgive sin. Aren't you glad? To judge, to receive, to reject people, to save and deliver people through life and death. I thought I might get an amen on that one. Think about it for a minute. Aren't you glad he has all the power and authority? He can forgive me of my sin. He can save me. He can deliver me through life. Woohoo! But he can also deliver me through death into eternity and a personal, eternal relationship with him. I got to thinking about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, and I'd like to read that this morning. God demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. Is that clear? Is that clear? That's pretty clear to me. But Paul's just getting going. Here's some more. He says, not only in this age, but the age to come. Verse 22. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says, in heaven, see how clear that is, and on earth. Just let that sink in for a minute. Now note when Jesus came and spoke of this power. 
he, he speaks of it immediately following some doubt, hesitation, or confusion. See how reassuring that can be? Anybody in here ever doubted anything in your life? Let me see. Okay, the rest are lying or asleep already. Okay. Yes. We get confused about things. We hesitate. Have you, have you ever wanted to share the gospel with someone and you hesitate? Come on. Happens to all of us. I'm right there with you. Oh, just take that step. I don't know if I can. Just do it. I don't know if I can. Come on, you can do it. What if they don't like me? Ah, ah, ah. Right. So it's beautiful to realize when Jesus came and spoke about this power. That some of them are in the midst of hesitation or confusion or doubt even. And he comes and he speaks on the heels of that. And he also comes and speaks about his power immediately before the Great Commission. Immediately before charging his disciples to go out into that hostile world. Let me let you in on a little secret this morning. The world is hostile to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you aware of that? Now before we have a pity party, let me say this. The world has always been hostile to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's high time for us to quit going, well, if they just knew what our culture was like. Listen, it's always been that way. It's just manifested in some different ways. And we have the power of the gospel to share with others, even in the midst of a hostile world, just like they did. So I want you to think about that this morning. As we think about disciple-making, he comes and speaks about his authority when we might be hesitating a little, but also when we know we need to go out into the hostile world and proclaim. You see, it is his power and authority that flows through us as we engage people with the gospel, as we make disciples. Disciple-making is hard. It is hard. But it can be done because of the power and authority of Jesus. Jesus' authority gives us confidence as we go. Remember, he is Lord over all. And I would say to you, the time is now. Now, I could say that to you because it's my first official sermon as pastor. The time is now. Let's go. Hey, good to see you. Okay. Honeymoon period, right? Everybody loves everybody. You guys are still saying you're praying for me. Wow. So it'd be easy to say, to say that. But the time really is now. And it has nothing to do with Lamar. Or you, the time is now. Let me read to you from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I want you to ponder these verses for a moment. Peter, old Peter, wise Peter, ancient Peter, he writes this. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Well, we get that. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, listen to this, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Do you see how the time is now? The Lord is tarrying. The Lord is waiting to come back. Why? Because God desires for all to come to repentance. 
Now, we know that all don't come to repentance, but is there one more out there in that neighborhood or that neighborhood? Is there one more here in Albuquerque? Is there one more in New Mexico? Is there one more in the United States, North America? Is there one more around the globe? And I would say to you, yes, people are being saved all over the planet today. And we, if we're disciple makers, are to be a part of that. Remember, disciple makers make disciples who make disciples. Well, disciple-making background principle number three is simply this. It's the Great Commission. It's verses 19 and 20. It's the command to make disciples. Let's read 19 and 20 again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The command, the commissioning. Now notice there's the word therefore. Did you catch that? It's very important. It's a connector. It's connecting back. What is it connecting back to, Lamar? I, it's very important because it connects directly back to Jesus' authority in verse 18. That's very helpful for me. When I'm be given marching orders from my heavenly commander, it is great to connect immediately back to the fact that all authority and power are his. And that's going to flow through me. Notice number one. He commissioned his followers. It's not a comfortable call. It's a costly command. I think that's one of the big difficulties with the Great Commission. When it can become the great suggestion is this. It's costly. It's costly. And it's a command. Now let me do a little sidebar for a moment to help you out. Unfortunately, I'm not going to blame a bunch of churches in the past because many churches were set back by the authorized King James Version rendering of the Great Commission. Any Bible scholars in here know about the authorized version? It says, Go ye therefore and teach. Oops. We missed it there, okay? We missed. If that's your Bible, don't, don't send me hate mail, okay? okay? But I think centuries, it, go ye therefore and teach. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, go therefore and make disciples. So I want you to know in this command, there's one imperative and one imperative only as you study the biblical language, and it's this, make disciple. Now, there's three participles, and we get that. Going, baptizing, teaching. But no, there's one imperative. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, based on these verses, I think there's four non-negotiables that we would see. There's four facets of disciple-making. I'm going to go through those real quick so you write real fast. Number one, we share. What do we share? We share the word of God. We must speak about the gospel uh, to others as we live out the gospel. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us so we can absolutely bear witness to the gospel. And I want to tell you today, church, it's not enough just to live out the gospel. It's, that's not what the Bible is talking about. It's not enough just to be the good neighbor and et cetera, et cetera, and hey, if I just live my life a certain way, others will get it. No, we have to share it. 
Where is the gospel found? In the word of God, we have to share that. Secondly, well, let me, before I move on, let me throw something else in for you. You ready? Everybody take a deep breath. We can't rely only on paid pastors to do this. Here's what our strategy should be. Are you ready? You might want to think about this. It would be that all members of the church engage their world, whatever that is, with the gospel. All members. You've heard that phrase, all members as ministers. There's truth to that. That would be the strategy, that all of us would engage our world, whatever that means, with the gospel. So we share. Secondly, we baptize right there in the Great Commission. What is baptism? It's a showing of the word. Baptism symbolizes identification with Christ and the body of Christ. That's why we call it believer's baptism. Are you with me? We become a believer, a follower, a disciple of Christ And we identify with him through the picture of baptism, the showing of it. Read the New Testament, and I think you'll discover nowhere in the New Testament, the New Testament knows nothing about unbaptized Christians. Think about that for a minute. Once someone is baptized, showing the word involves sharing life together as a member of a church. You see, disciple-making is not a class It is walking through life together as a community of faith. And I would ask a tough question this morning. we got a good group here today. Christian, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? Did you get the order right? Belief, salvation, baptism, letting the whole world know what had happened, and then getting after the gospel. Have you been baptized? I would say we need to have that conversation if you hadn't. I can remember baptizing little children. I'll never forget uh, one of my first baptisms was the Stewart family. It was their son, and I'm standing in the baptistry, and in those days the choir was right in front of me. Do you remember choir robes? Boy, we... (laughs) We spent a lot of money on choir ropes. And here he comes. There's about four steps down. And have you ever heard the sound when someone's in a bathtub and they slip? That About the second step, I'm talking to the congregation. I hear this. And here comes little Miss, Mr. Stewart flying through the air. He slipped and basically had to do a cannonball right in the baptistry. And I'll never forget old Fred Kelly great tenor, back row, middle, just the water, just (laughs) drenching him. If a kiddo's a Christian, baptism should occur. Amen? We got to talk about that and make sure they're a follower of Christ, but man, if they are, let's get after it. I'll never forget elderly gentleman was baptized in our church years ago. He was 94 years old and did not know how to swim. And finally, he submitted to the Lord to be baptized. And I'll never forget, in the water, three other deacons. I wondered, why are there three other deacons in the water? Well, I soon learned. We had to bring him down in a chair and sit him. And uh, do we have that here? I don't know. I can't tell. But we had an acrylic, a piece of acrylic there. And he gripped onto that thing with a death grip. 
like you've never seen. So it was time to baptize him. And of course, we had a deacon leaning him over and one helping bring him back up. And then I realized what the third deacon was there for, to pry his fingers off of that death grip. It doesn't matter how old you are, it is not too late to follow the Lord Jesus in believer's baptism. So we share, uh, that's part of disciple making, we baptize. Number three, we teach. What do we teach? Are you catching the theme here? We teach the word. The idea here is to reproduce the word. Disciple-making conversations ought to be filled with Scripture about what Jesus has taught us. What has Jesus been teaching us that should flow out? Listen to me closely. This is something you may want to jot down. The difference between a disciple and a disciple-maker. You ready? The difference between a disciple and a disciple-maker is that we move beyond feeding ourselves to where we can help feed others. Well, what do we feed them with? Our opinions? No. The news of the day? No. With the gospel, with the scripture, with the love letter, God's revelation that he has left for us, the Holy Bible. Lastly, we serve. Well, where do we serve? The Great Commission's clear. The entire world, right? Does your Bible say all nations? I think they do. There's more to that word than just nations. Picture this, if you will. We serve, we take it to, the, to all nations. That means all tribes, families, clans, peoples. And I want to tell you something about a disciple-making strategy. A disciple-making strategy must be all. It must be local and global. Can you picture that? Some churches are great at global. We will go on mission trips. We will send money to missionaries. Are those important things? Absolutely. My family is a part of that right now, internationally. The other side of the coin, however, is this. It's got to be local as well. What am I doing with my neighbor? What am I doing with my city, what am I doing with the people that I work with, go to school with? What are we doing with that? We serve. So in this great commission, he's commissioning, but secondly, Jesus is making a promise. Did you catch that? We forget about that lots of times. We, we, we tend to forget about the last part of verse 20 because we're so worked up over the commissioning. But it's this, Jesus promised to be with his followers, picture those 11 disciples, picture perhaps other uh, followers who are hearing this, and transport that even to today as Jesus is speaking to us. He'll be with us. How long does it say? Hello? Always. That's a long time, isn't it? You see, disciple making is hard. It's hard, but we do not do it alone. We have Christ's presence through his spirit in our life. Listen to Acts 1.8. Many of you know that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You remember this? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think lots of time we spend time on those four regions, and we get it, don't we? We say, well, that's right here, and then our state, and then our country, and then the world. You know, Jerusalem, 
Samaria, all that kind of stuff. Let's not forget a couple other words in Acts 1.8. And it's this, you receive my power. There it is again. Power, my dynamite, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. What's a witness? I've learned what a witness is when there was a wreck in Bloomfield. Down at the end of our street, there was a wreck. And it was a pretty good wreck. And I heard it. And I turned to see this carnage. And when the police officer came and began to talk to me, I, really wa- I learned I wasn't a witness. Are you with me? And he asked me a few questions. I heard it. I saw it after it happened, but I didn't see it happening. And therefore, he said, well, you're not really a witness. Thank you, sir. Okay? So witness means someone who gives expert testimony what they have experienced, what they have seen. And that's us. We have experienced and seen the working of God in our life to save us and then to disciple us, to make us more like Him. And we're to be that in those four places. And remember, Jesus promises to be with His followers always. Disciple-making is based on who Jesus is And what he is doing in our lives, not based on what I can do. That's so helpful to me, and it takes so much pressure off of me to know it's his power, and he's with me always. That means today. That means whatever God-appointed moment he'll give me this week with someone. That means next week and next week until I leave this earth. I love Ephesians 3.20. It reminds us that Jesus is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You see, Christ is with us every step. And I think sometimes, and perhaps today, God is working in your heart right now, and he's saying, just take one step. Just take one step and see what happens. One step and then another. He's there with us for every step. And he's also there with us in the good days. And in the bad days. Anybody had a bad day this summer? <clears throat> COVID, COVID. <clears throat> yeah, right? Oh, he's with us then, just as in the good days. So let's get going. Let's get going with disciple making. But how can that happen? It's very simple. Scripture is very clear. We are to be light in the darkness. You catching that? Now, all these uh, verses about darkness and light were written a long, long time ago. You see, what happened then is true. What happened maybe when some of you were real young and maybe even what's happening today. It's all the same. It's still light and darkness. John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Sermon on the Mount, right after the Beatitudes. I read that this morning in my quiet time. And it's this, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, here it is, you remember? Let your light shine before men, mankind, so they may see. What should they see? You? No. See your good works. In other words, you're working in the kingdom and give glory to the Father in heaven. That's the ultimate goal. And then I read a passage from Acts 26. This is Paul's testimony 
to the folks in Acts 26. He says this, starting in verse 14. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, not goals. Not, this is not a football thing. Goads, all right? Why do you keep doing this? Verse 15. Then I said, this is, was Paul speaking, or Saul at that time, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness, there it is again, a witness of what you have seen and of what I will reveal to you. And it gets better, Paul. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I now send you to them. You don't like your neighbor or co-worker? Tough. God is sending you to them. Even your enemy. Pray for your enemies. Wow. So he says, I now send you to them, verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from, here it is, darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sin and to share among those who are sanctified. Wow. It is an imperative. We must get going with disciple making Disciple makers make disciples who make disciples. Let me close and wrap up in this way. Two words I want you to jot down. First word is go. Second word is all. I love how scripture connects together, don't you? It interprets itself. It connects together in context. The word go in verse 7, if you look in this chapter, the angel is at the tomb and the ladies come to the tomb. You remember resurrection morning? And he says, go quickly and tell. There's the word go. In verse 10, all of a sudden, as they're going, these ladies, there's Jesus. And he says, go and tell my brothers. Verse 16 the 11 disciples traveled, if you will. They were going. They were going. And of course, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. I want us to remember that word this week, go. And the second one is all. And we see in verse 18, of course, the powerful statement, Jesus says, all authority. And then we get to verse 19, and he says, do what? Make disciples of all nations. And even in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe everything. Maybe you have all. That's another word for all. And I am with you always. All. We must go to all with everything we got. And you know what we got? God's Spirit living in us working through us. Let's pray. God, your word is clear. You give a claim and you give a command, a commissioning. And God, you're asking us to go. God, I have been praying for less analysis and more awakening of heart. Would you awaken our hearts this morning 
God, I know there's some people here today. There's some people that are watching online that are not sure about all this. God, we know we can't go and do this if we don't have the relationship. So God, I ask today that you would save people listening in this room, listening wherever they are, in their home or wherever, that you would save them, that you would draw them to your side, that they would realize that this moment is not an accident, but you have planned it for their salvation. God, that they would repent, that they would turn to you and away from their sin, that they would acknowledge that you are the Lord, the boss, the master, that you are the controller of the universe, that they would know your Lord and as they repent that you are the Savior and you forgive them of their sin. God, I pray that people would do that today and truly repent and turn to you. God, I also pray today for those of us who have experienced your salvation, those of us who are walking with you, trying to follow you to be more like you. God, that you would show us disciple-making, that the Great Commission would not be a suggestion, but we would put feet to it, Lord, and we would go. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. I want you to remain real still for a moment, music still playing. I'm going to ask something of you today. If you are willing to pray about being a disciple maker or more of a disciple maker if you're already doing that, if, if you are willing to ask God to give you opportunities to share the gospel, I want to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to stand before God. Just if you'll pray about that, if you're willing to see what God would do, you're not relying on a preacher. You're not relying on a program. You're relying on the Lord. People standing all across the room. Don't, don't worry. We're not going to get your name or have you fill out a form. Okay? This is between you and the Lord. Would you just cry out to the Lord this morning right now? Would you pray something like this? God... Show me what it means to be a disciple maker. God, give me the courage and the opportunities to put feet to your commission. God, I want to pray today for each person that is standing here right now. That you would know, we know you know our hearts that you would touch their hearts, that you would do a work in their life, that we would have stories about life change, that we would have stories about people becoming new followers of Christ. God, help us in that way, God, and show us what that means. Perhaps we need to ask for forgiveness uh, from someone. Lord, perhaps we just need to ask forgiveness from you because we have hesitated, we have doubted, we've been confused. God, clear all that up and help us to go forward. God, give us opportunities. God, I thank you for this response this morning. It is an answer, Lord, to my prayers.
that we could answer the question, what are we going to do about making disciples? God, remind us that this includes those who have not yet followed you. And God, remind us that it also includes those around us that have, that need to be fed and taught to go and do what we're doing. God, this is our prayer, and we give it to you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.